Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going through uh, several selected passages of Scripture, so you, may, you might have a hard time keeping up if you're wanting to turn to each one of those passages this morning. But our our topic is, can we trust the Bible? Um, the Bible is under attack today, probably more so than ever before in history. There are, there is a new age of atheists who are almost militant in wanting to eradicate the message of Christianity in this country. And it's really important that we as believers have confidence in this book. I want to share with you a disturbing statistic I came across recently. Uh, there was a book written by George uh, Marsden in 19, uh, well, around 1987, uh, Reforming Fundamentalism. And he quoted from Jeffrey Haddon in 1987. He had polled 10,000 American clergy. Okay, not just 10,000 Americans, but American clergy. And this is what he discovered. Do you believe the Bible is inspired, is the inspired word of God without error? And this is what these 10,000 clergy said. 77% of American Lutherans did not believe that the Bible was the inspired, inerrant word of God. 82% of Presbyterians did not believe. 87% of American Methodists and 95% of Episcopalians. And this was back in the 80s, church. I submit to you that it is, it is much worse than this today. It is really important that we have confidence in God's word. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're a skeptic and you find yourself in that statistic, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. And I, I just want to encourage you to, uh, read the Bible for yourself. Don't, don't read what other skeptics are saying about God's word. You do a thorough investigation of God's word before you come to these kinds of conclusions. Here at Emmanuel, we believe that his word is the inspired, inerrant word of God. The Bible says in, um, well, we believe that it is far better to build our life on truth and not trends. My question to you this morning is, what are you building your life upon? Truth or trends? Because if it's trends, that is constantly changing. We believe here at Emmanuel that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. God breathed. God inspired it. The authors were moved by the Holy Spirit to record what we have in our book, in this book today. What you're hearing right now in this service is my breath. But when it comes to the Word of God, when we read the words on the pages of this book, 
It's God's breath. And all of God's words are true. Men. God used men's personalities to uh, record the words that he wanted us to have. All scripture, all scripture is God's word. There's not a canon within the canon. There's people who believe, well, there's parts of the Bible that are inspired, that are reliable or, or are true. But that's not what we believe. And that's what not scripture, that's what scripture doesn't tell us that there's a canon within a canon. All of God's word is reliable, is accurate, and we must build our life upon this truth. Jesus believed this book. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. What does it look like to build one's house on the sand? On trends? On public opinion of what the majority thinks is right at the at that particular time. Let's look at some houses that were built upon the sand. Not a very good foundation, is it? Uh, not a very secure, beautiful place to live, but not a very secure place to live. How about another? We got another picture up here too. <clears throat> Again, this is the effects of building one's life upon the sand. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus tells us that he who takes these words of mine and builds upon the words that I have to convey to you is like building your life upon the rock. And church, we believe that. And we believe not just the inspiration of Jesus' words. Jesus' words are authoritative. But all of God's word is authoritative, and we believe that. So how can I trust the Bible? We started this uh, series last week, and I'm thankful that uh, Rob Rob was able to uh, share last week. He did an awesome job, and so I'm not going to repeat uh, things that Rob shared. Now, this morning I've got more notes than I have time, so uh, I'm going to kind of skip some of this. But the first point I wanted to sh- share was that uh, we can trust the Bible because it's historically accurate. I'm not going to go into that because Rob addressed that last week. And so if you're here and you want to get part one of this uh, series, I want to encourage you to go back to our website and uh, hear uh, part one of um, why we can trust the Bible. But I want to camp 
particularly this morning on the second point. And the second point is this. We can trust the Bible because it is scientifically accurate. Now understand, the Bible is not a scientific book. You know, I just uh, got through reading one of um, Sam Harris's book, a letter to um, a, le- a letter to the, a Christian nation, and uh, uh, we would describe people would describe Sam Harris as a um, as a new atheist who is very aggressive and trying to silence the church. But as you read that letter, you get the impression that Sam Harris is very angry. And uh, that God's word, it can't be trusted. If, if God is so loving and caring, why didn't he give us the answers to uh, the cure for cancer? Or why doesn't he intervene with uh, the wars that are going around, on around the world? And in fact, that reminds me, I got a text from Bertrand this morning, the gentleman that we are uh, sponsoring uh, for asylum here in this country from Cameroon. Um, there is a, uh, a lot of, um, there's a war, there's an uh, uprising that's happening in his, uh, local community. The North, uh, which is predominantly Muslim and where the government is located has sent 7,000 soldiers into uh, his his community, his where he lives, uh, he's got I believe four children there. His uh, mother, grandmother lived there. He asked us to pray this morning, and so I'd like for us to just take a moment to uh, pause and uh, pray for that um, very uh, violent situation in Cameroon right now. Can we pray? Just where you're at silently, would you uh, lift up Bertrand and his family and and uh, pray that uh, God would intervene in this situation? God, you know how scared uh, Bertrand is at this moment. Afraid for his family and and relatives and friends who... Um, uh, who don't have the means to protect themselves against a, a, a Muslim go- government who is trying to um, uh, spread fear and intimidation among the people. And many people have been killed, God. But there are many believers in southern Cameroon. And uh, Lord, we know that... Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. No matter what we go through, nothing separates us from your love. So, Father, I pray that uh, you would give your people uh, peace and and confidence and strength uh, in the midst of a very uh, scary situation. And fill Bertrand with your peace that passes understanding as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We can trust the Bible scientifically. It's not a scientific book, but 
as believers, we believe, and God's word says that God has created everything. God has created science. And his word does not contradict these laws whatsoever. God's word, the Bible, will never give bad science. It has never given bad science. And in fact, the Bible has always been ahead of science. Johannes Kepler, a famous uh, mathematician and astronomer back in the uh, 16th century, said this, Science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. Science simply discovers what God has already established. And what God has established never, ever changes. God is truth, and truth never changes. Science is constantly changing. I don't know if you know that or not, but science is constantly changing. Look what uh, David Barash, uh, he's the evolutionary biologist at the University of Washington. This is what he says. The capacity for self-correction is the source of science's immense strength. But the public is unnerved by the fact that scientific wisdom isn't immutable. Scientific knowledge changes with great speed and frequency as it should. Yet public opinion drags with reluctance to be modified once established. And the rapid ebb and flow of scientific wisdom have left many people feeling jerked around, confused, and increasingly resistant to science itself. What he's saying here is science is constantly changing, and that is the strength of this field. And so if you go back, if, I don't know, if you're my age or or more, if you go back to your third grade science books 50 years ago, they're not going to be, look like anything like they are today. Science is constantly changing. And he says this, because self-correction is the source of science's immense strength. Man. And how much is it in our face that uh, there's a new scientific discovery and scientists are so dogmatic about that new knowledge and what they've learned and then several years later, oh, we've changed our mind because we've discovered something new. I'm not, I'm not up here ragging on science and saying that science is bad. But we need to pause when we hear scientists say dogmatic things that are particularly contrary to the Word of God. 
And we just, we don't need to panic and we don't need to put our faith in that because down later on, they're going to learn something new. Science is constantly changing. God's word never does. God knows science. Even when we don't. And his rules never ever change. Look at Psalm 148 verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. And this is for all of his creation. It's not just in reference to God's laws and God's people and God's word. This has to do with physics and chemistry and mathematics. God created it all. And it never changes. Let's look at some of those things where the Bible was ahead of science. You know, the Bible never says or said that the earth is flat. But for thousands and thousands of years, people believed that the earth was flat. Um, But Copernicus, Galileo, and Columbus discovered that the earth was a sphere, was a circle, was a, was a globe. But before they discovered that truth, God had already said in his word that the earth was round. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. He sits enthroned above the circle, uh, in other words, sphere of the earth. Isaiah. Before science discovered it, God told Isaiah that the earth is round. Not only uh, does the Bible say that the earth is round, but, uh, you know, for for many people, for thousands of years, um, they believed that the earth had to be held up by something. Okay? For the Greeks... Uh, the Greeks for thousands of years thought that uh, Zeus was, or Atlas, Atlas was holding up the world. For the Hindu, they believed that the, the earth that was flat, that they thought was flat, was being held up by elephants. And the elephants were standing upon a sea turtle. And the sea turtle was standing upon a serpent. This is what Hindus believed about how the world was held up. How about the Egyptians? You know, Moses, Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, he was, um, he was educated by the, the finest uh, teachers, scholarship, uh, uh, scholars that uh, Egypt provided at that time. He lived under the house of Pharaoh. You would think that uh, all of that Egyptian influence would have shown up in Moses' writings while, as he was recording scripture in the Old Testament. You know what the Egyptians 
uh, believed about the earth. They believed that the earth was was flat and that it was held up by five pillars. But we read none of this in God's word. God conveyed to Moses how it all took place. Now, do we have uh, detailed information? No, we don't. And a lot of this we have to trust by faith that God created this. That God, and I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that God created all of this in six days and rested on the seventh. And that takes faith. But it also takes faith to believe that it all began from nothing. And that at one point there was a big bang. You know what? I believe in the big bang. That God said it, bang, and it happened. And when, when God created it, He created all the stars, He created all the universes, He created all the light, and astronomers, you know, they look at the stars and the light that's emanating from those, uh, those suns and realizing that it takes billions and billions of years for that light to show up on our planet. You know what? When God spoke it into existence, it was already there. It didn't have to take billions of years. That's how powerful God is. We can trust God's word. And so God conveyed these things to Moses. And what we have um, record of in the first five books of the Bible is not an Egyptian influence. No, this is what God has to say. And beyond that, you know what the oldest book of the Bible is? Anybody know? Job is the oldest book of the Bible. And this is what God told Job in Job chapter 26, verse 7. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Hangs the earth on nothing. God keeps it suspended. Number, the number of stars in the universe for, for, uh, centuries or, uh, thousands of years, people believed that the, the stars in our sky were, uh, you could number them. And there was one science who was very proud of the fact that he had counted the number of stars. It was 1,022 stars. And then 300 years later, there was another astronomer came by and said, oh, that guy was just full of it. There's not a 1,022 stars. There's a 1,026 stars. And that was accepted as truth at the time. But we know today from astronomy that the universe, as far as we know, is infinite. The stars are innumerable. In fact, astronomers tell us that there are more stars in the universe than there is sand, grains of sand on planet Earth. That's a lot of stars. And look what the Bible says in Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-two. 
I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless, measureless as the sand of the seashore. Golly, who told Jeremiah this? God himself. When it comes to medicine, you know, uh, doctors should have read the Bible before they had done some particular procedures. You know, uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, bloodletting was a very popular procedure. If a person was sick, they just needed to remove some blood from that person's body and hopefully that they, they were going to get well. Did you know that that's how George Washington died? You know, he was sick, and so they let some, took some blood out of his body. He wasn't getting better, and so they took some more blood out of his body. It still wasn't helping. And a third time, they took more blood out of his body, and that's when he died. The doctor should have read the Bible. Look what the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 17, uh, verse 11. For the life of the creature is in the blood. The blood is vital to life. And we know that today we give people transfusions to help get them stronger, to help make them well. And I can go on. But the Bible, no, it's not a scientific book. But the Bible has always been ahead of science. And God has created everything. And it will never change. Another reason why we can have confidence in the word of God, and this is probably my favorite, is because it's confirmed by Jesus. Jesus believed that all God's word was true. When Jesus, we'll look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. For truly I tell you, until the heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament and to fulfill the law, to live the kind of life that we could never live. Jesus believed those guys back in the Old Testament and he fulfilled every dot and tittle. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave, uh, Jesus encountered, he came upon a couple men on the road to Emmaus. And uh, he asked them to cry, what's going on? And these guys were kind of surprised. You haven't heard? And so they repeated back to Jesus all, all that they had ex- experienced back in Jerusalem, that uh, this person who claimed to be the Messiah was crucified and, and buried in a tomb. And these guys were distraught and they were hopeless because their leader was, 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 was uh, uh, no more. And Jesus hearing this, the Bible says that he goes back to the Old Testament and begins to tell these things, these guys, everything that was to take place. That, that the Messiah had to fulfill. Jesus believed, embraced 
the Old Testament. The Old Testament was true. Not only did he believe what the prophet said about himself, but he talks about Noah in Luke chapter 17. He believes Adam and Eve existed, that they were a a real couple. They weren't just a... mystical beings but they were they were a reality he talks about that in Matthew chapter 9 verse 4 he believes that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah actually existed and uh, it's a historical fact Jesus believed that Jesus, that Jonah was swallowed by a giant fish and lived in the belly of that fish For three days. Jesus believed the Old Testament. And I want you to look at those last four. Noah, the flood, okay. Adam and Eve. Sodom and Gomorrah, Jonah. Those are some really controversial passages of scripture that, that people who call and claim to be Christians have a really hard time believing. Jesus didn't have a hard time believing. He knew that those things were reality. Folks, we can have confidence in the scripture, not only because it's historically accurate, scientifically accurate, but Jesus believed it. He confirmed that it was all true. But then the fourth point. We can have confidence in the Bible that it's true because church, it has transforming power. It can change people's lives when we believe it, when we apply it to our lives. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. Paul says this, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. These Thessalonians received it, they believed it, and as they applied it to our lives, the Spirit of God was working in their life. You know, buddy, where God's Word has radically transformed their life, I think we heard the testimony of one this morning in Karsten Sween. There was a, there was a, a friend of mine, um, Doug Meisner in San Bernardino. Uh, Doug was, um, Doug was really struggling, uh, a lot of his uh, early adult years. He had a really hard job. He was a truck driver working long hours. He was taking drugs to be able to stay up all night so that he could, uh, get his work accomplished. But, Doug was a mess. And he had a mom and dad who were faithful uh, in our church at that time. Uh, dad was a deacon, and they were very uh, concerned about Doug. And uh, God got a hold of Doug's life. 
And uh, one of the reasons why we were friends was uh, because we both like fishing. And uh, in those early days when Doug uh, was, uh, was uh, just very hungry for the things of God, we would go on fishing trips and uh, I would take all the gear and he would take his Bible. And he wasn't really, uh, you know, interested in fishing. He just wanted to be out in God's creation with God's word, feasting on God's word. And as, as he was believing this and, and it began to work in his life, God did a, a, an incredible transformation. He was able to say no to drugs. He, uh, met, uh, his beautiful wife in Sherry. And, uh, God called him into ministry and, and Doug is a pastor in a, in a church in San Bernardino now. But God's word transformed his life. That's what the power of God's word does. Look at this quote by Dallas Willard. You're going to have to keep up with you, Steve, because I'm going to read this a lot faster. Dallas Willard, who is a philosopher, philosopher, uh, a professor of philosophy at USC said this, people who believe in the virgin birth do not get points for believing in the virgin birth. They live in a different world. A world where virgin births occur, a world where virgin births occur is a different world from one in which they don't. A world where Jesus Christ rises from the dead, a world where we have a reliable word from God in the scriptures, this is a different world, this is different from a world where things aren't true. And when we believe in the true world, we gain the riches and realities that God has provided. When we don't believe, we live in that world, when we don't believe we live in that world, we are simply restricted to what we can work out on our own. The hope of humanity, church, is not reason. It's not modern science. It's not a healthier economic environment or better education. All those things are important. All those things are good. But our only hope is Jesus Christ. Because it's only Jesus that can transform the heart of an individual. The heart is desperately wicked. And it's only God's word that can change a person's heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, this isn't in your outline, but listen to these words. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The hope of the world isn't all the religions of the world working in people's hearts and lives. There is only one way, one truth, one life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And you might be asking me, well, Pastor, how can you be so dogmatic about that? 
there are other religious leaders who had really good things to say and encouraged their followers to live moral lives. Aren't they as worthy, have as much value and an authority as Christianity? And God's word says no. That there is only one way. But that doesn't mean that we are to come across arrogant or dogmatic or better than somebody else. That's what the Muslim, the militant Muslim Islam religion teaches. That they are the only ones who have the truth and everybody else needs to be wiped out. That's not what Christianity says. I'm going to be talking about this more in the next four weeks as we go through this series. I have one. But Jesus gave his followers a new commandment. That you love others as I have loved you. And he's not just talking about us loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the easy part. But Jesus loved his enemies. He loved the, the ones on the outside looking in. They were just as important as those who were already believed. And when we have that kind of love, it will transform homes, churches, communities, states, nation, and the world. Our only hope is Jesus. And so we don't go walk around with our chests puffed out and saying, we got the truth and ha, 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 you don't. No. We love as Jesus loved. Our country is in a world of hurt right now. I like what Paul McGuire has said at our prayer meeting uh, this last Wednesday night. He said he thinks Facebook needs a hug. There is, there is so much hate and division. And people think that, uh, you know, God's going to restore this country and make things better if we'll just stand up and, and show our patriotism and that everybody stand up. And there's another group of people who think, no, we need to, uh, to kneel and to, uh, <clears throat> you know, stand up for social injustice in this world. And that's not where our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus says, if you know the truth, and the truth is God's word, if you know the truth, and the person is Jesus Christ, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Set you free from hate and bitterness and anger cause you to love like you've never been able to love before.
you can trust this book. Rob went over several things that uh, of why you could trust the book. I encourage you to go back and hear last week's message. You just need to believe this book. And so what's the steps? What do you need to do? Number one, you, you need to get the Bible. Don't read what other people say about the Bible. Read the Bible. Don't trust what I have to say or what your teacher has to say. Read God's Word daily. And we've got some tools that will help you get in God's Word for yourself. Um, Devo Hub. I don't know if you've downloaded Devo Hub on your, on your phone, but it's an app that our church provides to you for, for free. There's several different devotionals on that, uh, that mobile app. Uh, download it, but you can only access it here in the building. Once you access it here in the building, then you can take it anywhere. But it's, you've got to get the app here and get started. Mom and Dad. You're going to hear more and more about Orange in our church. This is the new Sunday school curriculum for preschool through junior high right now. We'll be going to high school uh, after we get through with this current uh, curriculum that the youth are going through. But it's a great curriculum that's not just meant for here in the building. There is an app, Parent Q, that you need to download. Because this is, this, this app helps you to reinforce what your children are learning on Sunday morning. You need to like the children's Facebook page. Mindy posted a, uh, a devotion for families last, last night. I wish my kids were still little. Um, it was comprised of graham crackers and chocolate and uh, talking about the walls of Jericho. And you walk around the, the Jericho graham cracker wall seven times and the graham crackers fall in and then you get to eat it. <laughs> but you get to talk about God's word, what God did and that God can be trusted and what he tells us to do. But there's just very practical and helpful information for whatever stage your children are going through. But get into the Bible and get your children into the Bible. Second step, get into a life group. We've got the life groups all over this place and Sunday school classes on Sunday morning. You need to get connected with other people. You can't get to know other people by staring at the back of their heads in this worship service. We learn in circles, not rows. And those circles occur in home groups, home groups that are here on Sunday night or in homes during the week. If you're not part of a life group, please see Karen. She can help you get connected to a life group. You need to be connected to others. And then number three, you need to be in relationship with the author. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ you'll never understand this book. This book was spiritually given to the 40 authors 
over 1,600 years. And it requires the Holy Spirit in our life to interpret to us, to help us understand this spiritual book. You will never understand this book naturally outside a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can be your teacher and your guide. May you know him. Let's pray. Father, I know the hour's late, but this is such an important subject. God, I pray that you would help help your followers, help your believers in 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 following Jesus who claim to be Christians. God, help them to have complete and total confidence in what the word says. I think of John the Baptist. The the cousin of Jesus who prepared the way for the Messiah. Who at one point in a prison cell doubted whether or not you were the Messiah or was he to look for another person. And Jesus, you said you that you are the one. There is none other. And you affirmed John the Baptist's faith, even in his doubting. And God, there's some doubters in this room this morning. And God, you love them just as much as you believe you you love uh, those who uh, have complete confidence in your word. Encourage, God, their faith, their study, as they read for themselves. But Jesus, you are our only hope. And I pray that you'd use this time of invitation to help people connect with you. If there's one without Christ who wants to know Jesus this morning, Lord, I pray that they would find an elder a counselor in the dining hall and talk more about this uh, this relationship with Jesus. Bless this time of invitation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.